Hello, and welcome to AMA Thriving in Private Practice, a 10-episode series exploring the unique needs of physicians in private practice settings. In our show, we'll talk about efficiency solutions and how to transition into the world of private practice. We also will focus on other tips and tools to help free up time so you can focus on your patients. I'm your host, Carol Vargo, Director of Physician Practice Sustainability at the American Medical Association. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Carolyn Francovilla. We will hear about her personal journey starting a private practice following residency. Welcome, Dr. Francovilla. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this today. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. We know you're really busy, but could you start us off for our audience a little bit with background on yourself? Where did you grow up? What drew you to medicine? Where did you train? Yeah, so I am now a family physician and an obesity medicine specialist, and I practice in the Denver, Colorado area, and that's actually where I'm from. I think most physicians will find it unique that I actually stayed here for my entire training. So I went to college here, medical school at the University of Colorado, and did my family medicine residency here too. So I have uh, been Colorado through and through. And, you know, I think my story of my interest in medicine is kind of the classic one. I really liked science. Biology was my favorite subject. Um, I actually had some interest in advocacy. And um, I found that, you know, bench work, that sort of science really wasn't for me, but I loved talking to people. And so medicine seemed like the perfect marriage of my desire to converse with people, talk with people, um, but also get to use that biology um, and science to my advantage. And what drew you to family practice in particular? You know, I think as we have this conversation about private practice, that will kind of mirror itself. But family medicine, we get to do a little bit of everything. And so that's kind of the same when you have your own practice, you get to have your hands in a lot of different pots. And I liked everything. I always wanted to be the sort of doctor that could answer the basic question, you know, like if someone had pink eye, I wanted to be the one who could answer that solution. I liked long-term relationships with my patients. And I always had this really big interest in prevention, health, wellness, nutrition. And so family medicine really, I think for me, lended itself best to um, that preventive care, that focus on nutrition and this obesity focus that I've later gone on to have. So tell our listeners how you became interested in private practice, because I know you joined or created a practice right after your residency, which I think is pretty atypical these days, I would gather. So where did it start for you? Um, I think that's a little hard to say. I I think I actually went into medicine because I liked the idea of having a job and, um, you know, not having my own business. Um, I'm from a somewhat entrepreneurial family. I watched my dad in the restaurant business. And to be honest, it didn't appeal to me at all um, until I kind of got through most of my medical training and realized that if I wanted to practice medicine on my own terms, that private practice really was the only route for that. So I actually was employed by a small private practice for my first year out of residency. They were really flexible with me and let me pursue my interests. And I learned a lot there. Um, But even in residency, I was sort of starting to think, okay, what would my own practice look like? And I got a little overwhelmed with the idea of starting one, found a a small practice that seemed like it would be a good fit, um, and then pretty quickly realized that I 
really wanted to be in charge of my own destiny, wanted to have patient care on my own terms, and that the best way for me to serve my patients was through my own practice. Were you exposed to the private practice model as part of your training, or did you specifically seek it out when you were in residency? Um, I was lucky that I really was exposed to a fantastic private practice as a medical student. At the University of Colorado, they have this longitudinal preceptor uh, experience. And so as a first-year medical student, you start working with usually a primary care physician. And I got matched up with a young pediatrician, Dr. Noah Makovsky, who had just started actually his um, practice. And I really got to see what that looked like and how happy he was and how connected to his patients he was. And I continued working with him, you know, once a week or so throughout all of medical school. So that definitely made an impression on me. And I remember him at one point asking, you know, do you think you'd ever start your own practice? And I was said, absolutely not. You know, I have no interest in that. And so he was certainly one of the first people I emailed when I uh, decided to start my own practice and let him know that he was a big inspiration to me and that, uh, you know, seeing what private practice can look like and how that really allows for the patient and physician relationship uh, was a huge part of inspiration that, that that could be done. So that was the medical experience. But I was at the University of Colorado, big academic institution. So aside from lucking out with that preceptorship, almost all the rest of my training was very academic, big hospital, you know, where you had this giant um, academic team on your service. So, um, you know, I know that not everyone at my school got that exposure. Uh, I, I kind of lucked out at my program, uh, getting to see a small private practice and, and seeing it just starting out. That is really interesting, because that is something we hear regularly that there is just no exposure, particularly in residency, which I think makes sense. But your undergraduate experience is really fascinating. And I think there are efforts by the AMA to try to better expose medical school students to the private practice model, because it does seem like your program was not typical. And I think it would be really interesting to see how that might spread throughout other medical schools, recognizing that you guys are so overwhelmed with so many other things to learn in medical school. Yeah. You know, in, in my residency, I had a little bit more exposure in my family medicine residency uh, because I think the nature of being in a community-based program, my residency program was through the University of Colorado, but it was at a community um, hospital. And so we did work with a lot of private practices in our residency. And so that also gave me additional exposure um, and really actually helped me when I started my practice, because since I stayed in the area where I had done residency, I had some connections to private practice physicians. Uh, and, you know, this may not be answering the question right now, but one of the things in terms of connections that helped me is, you know, I had gone to medical school in the Denver area and residency, and I had been involved in my state medical society since day one. And so I had a lot of support from the medical community, a lot of connections that I had you know, really been building since day one of medical school, which which doesn't mean if you haven't started, um, you know, at day one that, that you can't do this. But that community, that networking is definitely very important in private practice. And for me, my local and state medical society were tremendous resources. 
not just starting my practice, but as I've continued to grow my practice. So just kind of a plug there that that's a great resource in a lot of areas to help start a practice, support a practice, find resources. I think that is a great point. And it's good to know how helpful that was to you. I think often, as I say this as someone who works in organized medicine, people just say simply, I don't have time to get involved, which is, of course, 100% understandable. But it's great to hear that you found it so rewarding to be interacting with your state and local medical societies and now the AMA. So that is great. So this is sort of, um, you know, this conversation has led to my next question or thought is for other residents that are out there who might be listening to this, how can they dip their toes into private practice? For example, based on your experience, where can they start or get exposure to the model? I think the vast majority have electives as part of our residency training. And so when you're looking at your elective experiences, um, thinking about where what are opportunities you may not have later and that you may not be able to learn another way. And I think seeing practice models is one of those things that is harder to do. You can always go read articles and go to conferences and, and all the science is out there, but seeing how medicine is practicing, you know, watching a physician, watching how systems work um, may not be something that is as easy to do. So while you have that chance as a student or a resident, look for unique opportunities in terms of setting. So that may be, you know, in family medicine, we have this um, focus on rural, right? We, we always make sure our, our residents in Colorado get exposed to what it looks like to work in a rural setting. But that also may be looking at private practices, looking at a solo practice, right? What might it look like if you were the only doctor? Um, what does it look like to be part of a private practice that maybe has, you know, a dozen or, you know, a hundred doctors, but it's an independent practice. So I think exposing yourself to a variety of settings and locations when possible with those electives uh, is really powerful too. One of my limitations, I think, as a physician is I have done all my training in Colorado. And so I sometimes have this little bit of a, a narrow view because I have no idea what being a doctor in Florida or Texas or Washington might be like because I've really only ever seen the healthcare system here. So I think there's lots of different things we need to be exposed to beyond just the science to be really comprehensive clinicians. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. And I think you raise a good point that so much of it, particularly in private practice, can be market specific. Is it the right place to start a private practice? What is the community? What is the mix of patients? Who are the payers? I think those are all factors that go into it. And let's move a little bit more into your current state of private practice. As you mentioned, I believe you said you were employed, but in a small private practice and then went out on your own. So what were the key challenges you experienced when you were setting up and running your own private practice? I think the biggest challenge and actually the thing that 
probably kept me from doing it right out of residency was in family medicine. There's a lot of different things we need, a lot of different supplies. And I got really overwhelmed just trying to figure out what supplies I need for the clinic. And it's funny looking back because it seems so simple now, but I specifically remember thinking about, okay, if I'm going to take a urine sample, I know there's a wipe someone has to use before giving the urine sample. And I have no idea what that wipe is called. I have no idea what's in it. I have no idea where you get it. And, you know, all those little questions of like the supplies overwhelmed me. Uh, And as luck would have it, as I was starting my practice, I moved into a new home and my next door neighbor was a a rep for a big medical supply company and made my life, you know, easy peasy and helped me come up with a list of everything I needed. And I think the lesson from that is there is a resource for every question you have. So just like in medicine, you know, in family medicine, I use resources all the time. If a cardiology case gets to a place where I can no longer manage it, I'm going to consult with a cardiologist, right? And the same thing when we're starting our private practices, If there is a legal question, if there is a HIPAA question, if there is a supply question, if there's a technology question, there is someone out there that has that answer. And so that may be hiring someone, that may be networking and finding that person, but there is an answer to every question you have when starting a private practice. Yeah, it it sounds overwhelming to me just as you have described it. But I think now, even particularly, and you have mentioned this earlier about having that entrepreneurial spirit. I feel as if technology has enabled a lot of traditional small businesses to even become more appealing. And I think that might carry over to medical practice as well, just because you have access to so many things now through the internet and other technologies. We've heard of other private practice physicians getting a lot of their management tips and networking, not only from organized medicine, but say Instagram. What do you think of that? Where do you go for information from your peers? Absolutely. Yeah. I am sort of a Facebook person. So there is a Facebook group with a lot of private practice physicians and some with some family physicians and has been a tremendous resource for me. Sometimes we even separate out based on which EMR we use. And uh, yeah, those Facebook groups for me have been a great way to share resources, ask questions and, and get ideas. One big challenge that we've heard consistently across many private practices is contracting payer contracts, negotiations. How do you handle that? It sounds like you have multiple payers that you contract with. I know you mentioned you have a Medicaid population as well as Medicare, but on the commercial side as well. Yeah, I I think that is, um, you know, kind of overwhelming and uh, can be kind of a roadblock for some people. So um, again, there's a person who can answer every question you have, right? I think having that mindset, like you're there to be the doctor and like run the ship and figure out how you want a practice that works for you and for your patients. And then you find the person who answers the question. So in my case, we had found a, um, a credentialer who did billing, who was in our community. She's actually right down the street from me. So sometimes I even walk to her house to drop up or pick up paperwork. And she had been in the business for years and she helped us get those contracts and negotiate them. And, you know, she had done it a while. So she knew what was reasonable and and fair rates. And so, you know, we relied on her expertise and uh, she's in the process of renegotiating those contracts uh, for me right now. Um, But yeah, I think again, there's, there's someone out there and 
and, and networking in your community and with physicians in your area is often how you can find that person. Um, but, you know, we couldn't have replaced her community experience um, with with something else, right? I don't think that was something I would have wanted to navigate on my own. Uh, and so really deferred to sort of an expert for that. Right. That community is so important. I think another consideration is that there's lots of different models. So most of us are exposed to this model of an insurance-based sort of fee-for-service where there's a rate and we're um, submitting super bills for reimbursement. But there is growing movements of different relationships between payers and um, and physicians, and sometimes excluding those payers. And so, you know, there are whole direct um, models, um, the biggest of which is the direct primary care model, which is, you know, a low cost membership that really completely excludes insurance. There's different models where people will use sort of a concierge model. So they might take the sort of lower rate um, from an insurance contract, but then supplement that with a membership fee. So there's lots of models out there that really I think we should be open to and with the mindset of like what serves my patients, like what allows me to provide care best to my patients. And sometimes that means um, not going through the insurance process. Is that the way your practice is set up currently or are you exploring moving in that context? Yeah, so that's something I have been exploring and actually just launched this year. So I um, have actually three physicians who now work for me, and they are sticking with the traditional um, insurance-based model, and I have just launched a um, membership model, and uh, it's, it's going amazingly well. I'm really excited about it. That's really good to hear, and we would love to obviously follow you on your journey about how that goes. I think to your point, we are getting here at the AMA more inquiries on that. And I know that there are a variety of resources out there to explore that model. So would love to follow you as this goes on. I think that leads into my next thought, which is when we've done our research, qualitative research with private practice physicians, one of the joys that they love about this is the sense of nimbleness that I think I hear from you and your conversation. That if it isn't working, they feel like there's not a lot of bureaucracy around them to be able to make a change. Although there's clearly some challenges with being your own boss, but do you find that you have that nimbleness and how does that translate into you having, I think, more of a balance around the hours you work? Because we hear so much about burnout, pajama time. Tell us a little bit more about how that lives in your daily experience. Absolutely. And I think that is the biggest reason that I would recommend private practice for someone is that autonomy, that control over not just your relationship with your patients, but also your personal life and the way you do that. So um, for me, I was actually seven months pregnant when I started my practice. So I went, you know, started this practice in this, this really small setting and then immediately had a baby and had to take a little bit of time off. And um, I was able to go back to work, you know, just two days a week for a while. And I had complete control over what that schedule was. So that's been immensely powerful for me um, as a mom and a physician to be able to say, like, these are the hours I'm going to work and this is what works for my family. And sometimes that's not working Saturdays because that's what worked for my family. And sometimes that means I'm done at 1 p.m. for the day because that's what my family needs. So that flexibility is huge. I think the nimbleness in terms of um, professional obligations is really key too. So, you know, the COVID pandemic affected everyone in different ways. And 
for my practice, I felt very safe and empowered compared to what I saw with a lot of my colleagues who didn't have the PPE they needed to feel safe and didn't have any sort of protection from what was going on in the world around them. In my office, we were able to, you know, sort of work as a team and figure out what we needed to do to keep the business going, but also make sure that we as clinicians were safe and that our patients were safe. And we didn't have a lot of red tape or, you know, someone who was worried about the bottom line in a way that that wasn't about patient safety. So we didn't have, I guess, conflicting interests like a lot of employed physicians had in that time. And that was a really powerful experience. And I think I've seen a lot more people interested in private practice in the last couple of years. I think partly because of that, they saw that when you're employed, you know, that can actually even put you in a dangerous situation at times. Interesting. So you obviously have really taken to this model and you seem extremely happy with it. But I think there are probably some unique skill sets that are required to really succeed in private practice. What do you think the key skills are needed for our audience out there who are potentially thinking of jumping into this model of practice? What do you think these key skills are that they need to succeed? I think you have to be a little introspective and be able to take that step back and and step away from structure and be creative and think about what really is going to serve your need and your patient's need. And so a lot of times when people asked me about my model when I was first starting out, they kind of were just shocked that I was making it work. But I really started with very little structure. I just started with what I needed to do to be a good physician and make enough money to pay myself. And with that really basic principle in mind, was able to sort of creatively grow this this little private practice. So I think you have to have some creativity, some ingenuity to be able to do this. And I think using your resources, which I think as physicians, we do every single day there, like I said, there's an answer to every question you're going to have as a private practice physician. And so not being afraid to use lawyers, not being afraid to use um, someone to make your website, not being afraid to, you know, meet with multiple suppliers and figure out who's a good fit for your business. So you definitely have to be able to kind of do some of that groundwork. But the trade-off of doing some of that admin is that you have complete control. You're getting supplies that you want, right? You're never having to argue with an administrator about why you need the more expensive hemostat or something. Uh, so for someone who really you know, likes making choices themselves and is not afraid to do some of that research and do some of that groundwork, I think it really can set you up to be a lot happier and um you know, I think that these are skills physicians have. I think we've been sort of led astray thinking that we can't run a business. I really can't imagine anything that's much harder than going through medical school and residency. And I just want to spread the message to physicians that if you can do those things, I promise you can run a business. Medicine doesn't stand still. And at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. So that's great advice. I just have a question on an infrastructure issue because obviously there's been an explosion of growth in telehealth. Many used it prior to the pandemic, but of course, that overnight made telehealth almost an essential tool, particularly in primary care. Do you use telehealth? 
Yes, yes. I I was using telehealth before the pandemic, and I actually um, made some resources when the pandemic hit to help other physicians, you know, get started with it. Um, but telehealth is such a tremendous opportunity, and it really allows you to be usually much more efficient, much more cost efficient. We added a fourth physician in our office, and I don't think without the extensive use of telehealth in our practice that we would do that. We, we don't have room for four physicians in our space, but because one of us does a day of telehealth each day, we can now fit one more physician in the same space. So our rent hasn't gone up at all to have that additional physician, um, but we're able to expand our capacity for patients and for another physician to you know work in this environment um, by utilizing telehealth. So such a huge asset, I think, to private practice right now. Absolutely. I agree. You were using it obviously before the pandemic, but I think the pandemic did show people that they could readily adopt it and it could work. Do you find your patients are enjoying it as well? Oh, yeah. They love it. There are certainly people it's not a good fit for. We have some older patients, some lower income patients that just don't have the technology for it. Um, there will be some things that are always a struggle by telehealth, right? Abdominal pain, I usually like to see in person but there's so much flexibility in it. And oftentimes we'll find ourselves doing something by telehealth and then the patient can stop by at their convenience to say, get their vital signs taken by us if they need that or stop by at a different time of day for that abdominal exam. But we've already done the majority of the work by the telehealth appointment. So there's lots of ways to creatively incorporate that. And, and I actually personally, I'm already looking at the next thing. And, and I think the next thing is a lot more asynchronous communication with our patients, meaning um, a lot more services by text, by surveys, by email for follow-up conditions that maybe don't need this traditional fee-for-service office visit uh, to provide good care. We'd love to follow you on that journey as well. We are hearing of these trends emerging. Absolutely. I have one more quick question for you because I know you're a part of the governing council of the AMA's private practice physician section. Do you want to talk a little bit about the section and your involvement? Oh, absolutely. So the um, PPPS is one of the newest sections of the AMA. So our mission really is around making sure that we preserve private practice and that we can make sure newer generations of physicians feel that they can go into private practice. Uh, as well as continuing to pra uh, protect private practice for physicians who are in it. So uh, one of my big missions uh, on the, the governing council is to reach out to students and residents and let them know that this is a real opportunity. So uh, that's a little bit about the PPPS. And again, we're a new section, so definitely a great place where we need some up-and-coming leadership and need some involvement. We are very open to you know different things right now as a, a newer section of the AMA. So before we wrap up, and I know you've given a lot of great, I think, fundamental bottom line advice, which if I could summarize might be just do it perhaps, but are there any other final thoughts or comments that you would like to share with our listeners today? You know, the advice I always give in terms of just starting a business in general, but particularly for, you know, my physician colleagues is as I said before, you can do this. You've already done the hard part of becoming a doctor. Um, if you think about all the small businesses that are out there, 
the liquor stores, the dry cleaners, uh, all these different small businesses that you might interact with, they often are started by someone who may not have a college or even a high school degree. If they can start a business, you can too. And there's really just two rules to starting a business. People have made it seem like as physicians, we can't run businesses, that it needs like a really special skill set. But there's just two rules. The first rule is you need to make more money than the business costs to run. Okay. So that's basic business rule number one. And basic business rule number two is don't break any laws in the process. And that may feel like an oversimplification, but I think if we take things back to like, that is literally the root of, of what you're trying to do with your private practice, that you can build everything from there. That is great. And to help you not break some of those laws, the AMA often has a lot of great advice and resources. Because I do know there are a lot of regulations out there, but I love how you just simply break it down and take a step back. So Dr. Francavilla, thank you so much for sharing your personal journey on starting your private practice right out of residency. And thank you again so much for your insights and for joining me today. Thanks for having me. For more information about some of the AMA resources that I mentioned, please visit ama-assn.org slash getting started. I'm Carol Vargo, and until next time, this has been Thriving in Private Practice. Thank you so much for listening.